God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. This uh, session, we're going to talk about the fact that your prayers avail much more. Amen. Your prayers avail much more. And um, <clears throat> I was looking over some things that uh, I was briefly talking over Pastor Shirley with for, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And today I was just sharing with her some of the things that we've seen come to pass and some of the things that uh, are are imminent. Some of the things are um, pending. Some of the things are ongoing. Some of the things are going on. And, you know, we need to be mindful of the fact that we need to be current in our understanding of what God's doing because we prayed for so many years for so many things. You know, we have a vision for the whole earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And that is number one. That is a must. And that is biblical. And it comes, it's a part of our, our vision that we have for the ministry. Habakkuk chapter 2 and the things that God's holding us accountable for. He's holding us accountable to pray these prayers so that this vision can come to pass. And so I think it's very, very important for us to update ourselves periodically on what God's doing and making sure that we understand everything uh, that God is doing and how he's doing it. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a, I'm not sure how I want to start this. I think I'll start with a teaching that I was outlining here about what, when you have prayers that avail much more, what do your prayers contain? What must your prayers contain to avail much more? And I have a list of about six items here. Your prayers must contain faith in God. You must firmly believe that God will bring to pass what it is that you're praying for. You, you have to see yourself obtaining these things. You have to see yourself gaining. You have to see yourself uh, uh, being partaker of at least the first fruits of some of the things that you're praying for. So that is why we have always included your personal need in our prayers. That that goes without saying that God wants to meet your personal needs and he wants to use you to intercede for the needs of others and for his vision, what God's plan is. When he puts man into the earth, he puts him here with a plan for his life. There's not one person here that it, or was ever in life or ever put on this earth that God did not have a plan for that life. And this is what we must believe. That you're not uh, uh, here trying to make up a life for yourself or figure out what you can do to make yourself happy. Uh, you, there's a plan for your life. And I think as long as we are dabbling around with things other than what God's planned for us, you, you can forget it ever being successful. You can forget ever being content, happy, any of that. You must fall in line with God's plan. So now that you're born again and you've found God, what are you going to do? You, you're going to fall in line with this plan or are you going to keep trying to get the things that you thought you wanted when you were a sinner? Amen. You know what I'm saying. I mean, there's always some hangover from from our old life. You know, uh, some stuff that we get the blues about. You know, I could have been a contender. You know, it's, <laughs> Judge Judy, when they come in her how judge their, uh, her courtroom telling them what they suppose, she said, I could have been 5'7 and a fashion model, but it didn't work out that way. You know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So, okay, so what do we have? What do we have to work with? 
Well, we have a lot to work with. We've got the vision of God. We have the plan of God. We have a means to gauge success in God. God always reminded us that when we would pray for things that we would see newspapers and and evidence of our prayers and things that would be it wouldn't be somebody's rumor that it had come to pass. There would be evidence that we could see in the natural realm. It would manifest in the natural. And so we've stuck to that and we've stuck to understanding that these prayers do have impact in the realm that we are are praying. When we pray these prayers, we pray according to Ephesians 3.10, to make known the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. And that is cornerstone to what we do and how we do it. It has to be on a scale, on a par with what God has vision-wise. So what he does is he raises up leaders, of course, to carry out the vision. And those leaders occupy an office in God's kingdom so that when they speak, they speak on a level of authority that must be obeyed by these principalities and powers. And so uh, the voices then that join in in unison and the voices that join in in agreement make up the church so that you're not one, just one person uh, spending your whole life away praying about one little breakthrough to come through. You have a body of believers that join in with this prayer, and these people are called to execute the written judgments on the earth. All of you execute written judgments when you take authority over sickness, and you're, or you pray for people that you're executing written judgments. These things are not things you got to ask somebody's permission if you can, you know, pray for somebody that's sick. You just do it by unction. You've already been granted that by the Spirit of God. Now, if you're in somebody's meeting, that's different. We're talking about authority, but but there's a believer's authority that is mandated. When you go outside of these four walls and somebody's out of order, you're the sheriff. You got me. That's you're the you're the one who brings things into divine order as a believer. And so these prayers must be contain faith in, in God, according to Mark eleven twenty three. <clears throat> the prayer of faith saves any prayer that's prayed in faith has salvation power delivering power healing power that prayer will do good and so you must believe that your faith is doing good every time you exercise your faith faith in God is always honored at his throne amen Your faith is always honored at his throne. Why? Because he accounts it towards you as righteousness. And righteousness is the key to access to God's kingdom, his power, all of that. Faith pleases God. You must understand that. To be pleasing to God is everything. It causes God to release virtue into his virtue in the situations. And that's what you want. You want God to come in and take control. You want God to manifest. You want God. You want his answer. You want things resolved. When virtue is added to faith, 
it fortifies our faith and increases our fruitfulness. Virtue is defined as moral excellence. In other words, not compromising, not settling for less, not a halfway job, but moral excellence. Virtue also means prosperity of being. A virtuous person is one who is kind of fearless in going forward. Virtue means justice. See that moral excellence. You want to bring justice in the situations. Valor. The word for virtue also means an army. So when the prayer of faith, you can say this, when faith is added to your prayer and you add virtue to your faith, you, you can command an army or legion of angels to come to carry that out. So virtue really is what propels us forward fearlessly and we're backed up by forces that can help us and carry the load. No virtue, no forces. See, people think just because you're an heir of salvation, angels come and you sit down and they just do everything for you. I know there are people who say, I command the angels to do this, that, and the other. You know, if you're a person of virtue, you just go forward in the word of the Lord and go forward doing what God wants you to do. And it's up to God to command that army. He knows what you need more than you do. See? And so what we need to do is cultivate virtue. Virtue really is a type of perseverance. It's a type of steadfastness. The word virtue also means a band of men. So if God needs to bring human help to you, you command that because being a person of virtue, that it, it's, it's auto, automatically implied that that goes with you. Virtue also means goodness. In the New Testament word for virtue, you see dunamis used there, too, and means miracle working power. It means to be strong in soul. A virtuous person is not scared of everything that you understand what I'm saying. Strong in your soul. That means your mind is anchored in the word of God. It's it's. It, you know, you know, you may have thoughts that make you drift and think a little bit, but you don't go too far off. So you're strong in soul. You're moored and anchored in the hope of God. It means to bear calamities with fortitude and patience. You don't freak out if you get an extra bill at your house. Uh, you just say it amen in Jesus' name. <laughs> amen. But you bear calamities, and that's really not a calamity, but that's my example, with fortitude and patience. You know God is going to steady you. You know God is going to come for you. You know God is going to, I can remember when my husband died, and I I just really felt just out of it. Like I didn't know what to do, what thought to think, and, you know, just, it's a calamity. 
But I always remembered at the end of every thought was, God, if you couldn't get me through this, you wouldn't have me here where I am right now. So I know you'll get me through it. I'm not through yet, but I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, you know, and be through. So we're to add to our faith virtue. The other thing we add is knowledge. You must study the word of God. You can't, you can't have your mind on, you know, when am I going to get married and when am I going to get a promotion and be a person of virtue. You, know, you understand, you can't, that, that's a mind that's not steady, it's fragmented, it's torn. And then your prayer life gets to be like a kind of side thing that you do so that you have a little spending change in life. Instead of it being your focus. And let the other stuff, I know, you know, I know husbands and families are important. But don't make your, your purpose in life in God the side change and the family the main thing. Don't ever get that messed up. Because you start doing that and you got nothing but calamity in the thing that you're focusing on. This is true. God called us to have a life that he that he designed for us not our design you know you put all your your hope in in uh uh your marriage and it's shot you know and how do you how do you put all your hope in a shot thing so if you're smart you'll take all your energy hope dreams, everything, take some of that out of that and put it in God and the man and say, God, if you can add to my life these things. Now, it sounds screwy to natural people because to natural people, that's all they have. But for believers, we have the kingdom that comes first. You got me? And God will add things. Is my family things? Oh, yeah. People are things. Money's things, careers things, everything else is things. Now, other than that, you want things just to impress yourself and impress people. And it, it just won't work out for you. You know, you get stuck, people get stuck in stuff. I gotta make this work. You can't do that. You know, you're, oops, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Gabby. Go back to sleep, sweetie. You understand what I'm saying? So knowledge, you add knowledge to your virtue. You get to be a smart Christian. Be a Christian that knows the word. Ms. Nola was saying she had asked Josh about this uh, Christian group that was on campus. And, you know, mom wants to make sure the son goes, you know, keeps God in things. and. So he, she asked him if he went, and, and he said, yeah. He said, they were shocked at how much word I knew. So I told him, I said, well, that's a good report. You know, it's not like he's missing anything big, but it's good to be in the company of believers. So maybe they'll let him teach or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. Knowledge means to search facts, to come to, to learn. You come to an understanding. You come to a realization. You come to a place. Where you embrace certain understanding of things. 
Knowledge means a key. And that is the power to bring back from bondage. Knowledge frees people. It frees people. It frees you up from fear. Ignorance perpetuates fear. So knowledge brings you out of fear and brings you over into understanding and empowers you. You know, fear weakens us. Knowledge empowers us. Sometimes fear can be fed in unconscious ways. God will bring you knowledge to overcome and you say, you know what, I always thought so and so and such and such was wrong, but now I see it's, we get that all the time when you know God. And so fear is dispelled by knowledge. Bondage is broken by knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing, folks. You know, it's a good thing. Knowledge of God is a good thing. You know, petty knowledge, you know, and, and Jeopardy questions, you notice, and them questions are only good on Jeopardy. When they're paying you $30 or $100 a question, that's fine. But we're talking about knowledge of God. Amen. You know, you can study and study and study and then get on there and see them cameras and freeze. Your brain won't even work, so. Self-control. You add to your faith. These things, virtue, knowledge, self-control. Self-control is your, the ability to guide your life discreetly. Like you engage your brain before you open your mouth. You know, that's what discretion is. Discretion is knowing what to say, when, who to say it to. The Holy Spirit can give that to you. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Power over the enemy snares is self-control. Virtue keeps you in a high level of moral excellence and self-control helps you to carry it out. Add to your faith perseverance. Perseverance really is a power to withstand And press forward. The Bible said Jesus said I must needs go through Samaria. He set his face like a flint. Which meant nobody could talk to him about doing anything else. See. People hate that. People love to be able to control you, manipulate you, talk you out of doing things that you really know are important to do and. Get something else for you to do. How come you can't do this sometime? And how come you can't do, you know, that kind of thing. So you've got to add these things to your faith. To make it such that it avails much more for you you when you use it to pray. Godliness. You add that. Godliness is God likeness. Whatever you know about God, endeavor to be that. God says, thou shalt not steal because he ain't a thief, so don't steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't be lying because God don't lie. You know, that, that kind of thing. Just simple godliness. Not being a troublemaker, stirring up strife. You know, that kind of stuff. Delighting in iniquity. You find out somebody's got it hard and you just, see, I told you they was going to get it. We all know that. However, <laughs> your attitude about it.
<laughs> gets you into trouble with God, you, you can't do that stuff. So just endeavor to be that person that, that you believe God is. How does God, how does he relate to you? You reciprocate, give that back. You worship God, you put him first in all things. So godliness really comes from understanding God's first place in your life. Not other things. Not things. Not things. Add to your faith mutual affection and love for all. Somebody love you, love you, you love them back. If they don't love you, you find out how to love them into loving you. Well, simple. Yeah, when we first started this ministry, people would get irritated with me for one thing or the another. And I just asked God, I said, God, how am I going to win these people over? I, you know, I could have said, <laughs> you too. You don't want to come here, don't come. You know, people know that already. You don't have to tell them that. So I, I endeavored to learn how to win people over with the love of God. There's always something to learn. Simple things like that. You learn. Not being a respecter of persons. That's part of mutual affection. Where you, you endeavor to love people. You endeavor to think well of them. You endeavor to be that person that is God-like in all things. So that's <clears throat> with your prayers containing faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two, Have faith in God. And then the prophetic will start to work for you. And that is you'll begin to declare the word of God in faith and believe what you say will, will come to pass and you can have what you say. That also implies being guarded with how you speak. Being guarded only, this simply means not speaking to the natural situation, not confirming what you see in the natural. You know, there are times when you... You hear something and you know it's right for the time being, but you don't sanction it by saying yes to it or agreeing with it because you don't want to see that thing stay the way it is. You know, sometimes we'll see people that are not in the best shape in God and we want to, you know, say, well, they're, they're backslid, they're this, they're that. And they may well be. But as a prophetic person, you would much rather use your words to call them out of the darkness you understand what I'm saying? And so it's a, it's a choice you make with how you use your words. You, you choose to uh, use them to change the situations. Prophetic unction changes the natural to conform to the word of God. When fortifiers are added to your faith, your fruitfulness increases. Virtue Patience, self-control, all the things we spoke about, knowledge, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection. Then your prayers will increase in fruitfulness and avail much more. We should be aware of the condition and quality of our faith and be willing to add to it. You got me? So... And this is something that's, that we can do. This is not an indictment. It's not a criticism. 
It's not a put down. This is something that as a uh, responsible person, a responsible believer, you want to know these things. If you if you have symptoms in your body, if you feel like you don't want to just challenge them with the word, you go to somebody who knows what they mean. The same thing with your spiritual condition. You want to know what spiritual condition you're in. So you, I got to get some, you know, every time this comes up in my life, I just get scared and want to quit on it. I, I got to add something to my faith here. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's not that you don't believe the word and you don't believe God. Somehow it's not moving for you. And so you have to realize what you need to do to fortify it. It's like the bodybuilders do. You know, they go and have their little stuff analyzed and, you know, how much of this supplement I need, how much of that supplement, because I want to be able to get my body fat down. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about, just talking about in uh <laughs> get it down to reasonable levels, where it used to be when I was a slip of a thing. But you know what I'm saying. They They have a goal. They have something that they have set their heart and their mind on and they want to accomplish that thing. That's what we need to do that with spiritual things. We can do this. It's possible. So we should be aware of the condition and quality of our faith. Be willing to add to it. Allow God to fortify our faith. It helps us to be better able to wield greater spiritual strength and and these prayers avail much more. They avail much more when we add to our faith. Your prayers must contain righteousness. You, you have to know when you're in right standing with God. You've got to know that from relationship. It is imputed by faith. It is of God and his ability to believe in himself. So it's imputed to us. And it's God's ability to believe in himself. And we can't mess it up. All we have to do is obey the imputed righteousness. And we can walk in the things of God. We can understand the things of God. We'll be anointed for service. We'll have all the spiritual equipment that we need. Nothing shorted out. Righteousness really is right Wiseness, your mind is right toward the things of God. You're not fantasizing anything. You're not making anything up. You know, you're not on a campaign to prove to everybody how much you know about righteousness. You know, that kind of stuff. Let's get off of that. And let's get on to doing something. If, if you're right with God, then, you know, show me the money. You know, let's have some fruit of your righteousness. Let's see some prayers answers. Let's see some accomplishment. Let's see. What it does. The least you could do is not irritate other saints. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. People, people get on a tear and they just, that's all they know how to talk about. So it's a belief in our qualification, adequacy, and worth to appear before God and expect uh, what we ask to be answered. Righteousness does that. It puts you in the position where you understand your permission to stand before God and your right to expect that he would answer according to what he's promised. Righteousness really increases your expectancy in God. 
There's nothing you can, nothing comes to your mind. There's no ant on the inside of you that says that ain't for you. You understand what I'm saying? That faith is imputed as righteousness or accounted as righteousness. Just put it over into God. You're believing. Genesis 30, 33 shows us that righteousness has a voice. Righteousness has a voice. Genesis 30, verse 33. Jacob got tired of messing around with Laban. And he, through God's wisdom, devised a plan to get away from Laban once and for all. And he was about to separate from him. And Jacob felt like what he was doing was just getting what was due him. He wasn't ripping anybody off for a change. You know, wasn't taking somebody's birthright for a bowl of cold, cold, um, whatever he was serving his brother, little greedy brother. You know, you don't take advantage of people in their weakness, you know. That's just wrong. So here Jacob is after all these years ripping people off and conning people and all that. He met a bigger con than he was. And all that sowing all those years, he reaps in one person that's Laban. These Laban's got something he really, really wants, and that's that daughter. So he has to work seven years. Well, I'm thinking, how old is this dude? Come on now. The thrill has got to be gone after 14 years, and there he didn't work at another third seven on his third seven years. So whatever <laughs> tougher people than I am let's just, just say that way but that ain't that ain't nothing new and so he says here I'll pass verse 32 I'll pass through all your flock today removing from all the speckled and spotted those are the ones that he felt were his they had agreed and say of such shall be my hire then he says so shall my righteousness answer for me righteousness has a voice in other words, you don't have to argue with people. Oh, my goodness. If we could just get that straight. My goodness. Your righteousness answers for you, folks. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, let your righteousness answer for you. People challenge you as, as to, you know, what you're doing. In it, and you got to talk for a half hour explaining to him how you don't never do nothing wrong. And you ain't this and you ain't that. And how come you don't trust me and you don't think I know what I'm doing. Just shut up. If you've got any righteousness about you, let it talk. It'll show people who you are. Come on now. We don't need to do all of this. Still wrestling against flesh and blood, mostly our own. So he said it has a voice and it tells us not to fear. Tells us we can trust God to do what he says. That voice justifies us. It lets you know that you're okay asking. God wants to do it. He is going to do it. You keep doing what you're doing. Righteousness has a voice that encourages you. To continue on in God. It doesn't tell you, oh, you did something wrong. Why don't you stop? Because God, you know, you can't have this put you in a penalty box. Righteousness doesn't talk like that. 
So, so the, the, the key is to get assurance. Let your faith be your assurance of your position. Not what you can do, not your power, not your great ability, but let it be an assurance of your positioning. See, once you're positioned properly, what you need comes like, you got me? You call it to you. You don't go chasing nothing. Huh? Somebody told me something that really disturbed me. I mean, man. <laughs> oh no, I just too old, too saved. I don't know what my problem is. Married too long, you know, long, 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 long. But they they were in, involved romantically, or somebody they were interested in. They were interested in, in this person and told me how long they drove to go see this person. I said, I could slap you myself. Didn't your mom ever tell you? You wake up and stop that. That's female trick number 101, baby. They come to you. Are you kidding me? I'm real sorry about that now. I'm real sorry about that. It still won't slap her. You know, when I think about it, what's wrong with you? Man. Hey, you know, and, and to be honest with you, I prayed a quick prayer. Lord, dissolve this. She don't know what she's doing. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to help people. I mean, even with these female tricks. Come on now. She, come on now. Where did I get on the way? Where am I? Where am I? I got blood in my eyes. Smoke coming out of my ears again. Yes. All right. So let righteousness, righteousness has a voice. It says don't do that. That violates female trick number one. Man. You know, some things is good to wait for. And I mean, be waiting. Don't be trying to ignore it and pretend like it ain't important. Or like, But, you know, man, blessings are supposed to track us down, overtake us. You know, just. I mean, what's romantic about that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I missed this. I ain't gonna even ask that question. Charade in everything right real fast. Oh, Charade, back up off that pen a little bit. But that's not even appealing. I don't know. Excuse me, reverse goosebumps. I don't know. It pits my skin. <sighs> All right, so 
prayers that avail much more contain the will of God. They must contain the will of God. And we know his will is his word expressed. And his will is also what's implied in his word when it's not expressed. People think there's no scripture that deals with homosexuality being a sin. If, you know, I don't care which version you get (laughs) of the Bible. (laughs) Don't lay with mankind as with womankind. Oopsie. You know, I talk about not wearing what pertains to the opposite sex. And you'll see some Christians, if they're real conservative Christians, the women don't wear pants at all. They wear, look at the Duggars kids, they wear skirts all the time. And they do fine in them skirts. I mean, they get men and they get married and they ain't chasing nobody and driving half the night to go see nobody. That little boy was interested in, who's the little second girl? What's her name? Jessa? Uh-huh. Jim Bob said, bring him unto me. <laughs> Put him right up there in the outhouse where I can watch him all the time. <laughs> if he don't make the cut, he got home. Just like he came, huh? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> See, if more fathers would do that, girls wouldn't have to do what they do. You understand what I'm saying? Instead, the fathers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't mess with Jim Bob. Yep. So. Righteousness tells us not to fear because we can trust God to do what he says. So righteousness really assures us that we're trusting in the right thing. It's a reassurance to us on a continual basis. Causes you to think right about God. Think right about what he told you. Think right about his promises. Think right about if mistakes are made, they can be corrected. You might have to get on a different street or make a few turns to get on the right path, but you'll get there. The will of God. We talk about containing the will of God. The will of God also contains the vision and timing and the promise. So there's a promise that comes, but there's also vision and timing in it. And the will of God includes all of that. The will of God sets in motion what we desire. You have to want this. You have to. Sometimes I'll, I'll see people want to argue with the prayers that, that we have sometimes. You, you have to desire what that prayer says, you know. And your righteousness will want it. If you put your, your soul to the side... And your emotions to the side, because that's really probably what's not hitting you right with some of some of the prayer. But if you put that aside, your spirit man is in total agreement because it's the will of God. It's the purpose of God. 
We have to be invested in our prayers. We have to care that they come to pass. See? And this is thing, this is something that separates the toddlers or the babies from the mature. You know, see, this is, this is, we're talking about the bride of Christ and how she thinks. See, the bride of Christ is willing to invest in kingdom purposes to see things on earth come into line with God's word. And she doesn't feel shortchanged. She feels honored to be a part of what God's doing. She doesn't feel shortchanged. You know, in the natural, when you think in the natural realm, that's a little challenging to do. You know, there's certain things, you know, when I was married, my husband wanted certain things. He had certain goals he wanted, and I had to be a part of it. And sometimes I thought, and you get happy. There's a place in you somewhere where you can get happy about helping what the other person wants to do. you got to find that. You know, because your flesh will want to recoil at everything. It's like, when's my turn? Huh? And if you don't give me a turn, I'm taking one. You know how it is in the schoolyard. You know, little kids taking turns jumping rope and somebody can jump real long. And the kid that's doing the rope, when's my turn coming? Taking me a turn, you know, that... We all feel like that. But see, the bride of Christ feels honored to be a part of something because she senses eternity at stake. That's, it's, that's what it is. It's, this temporal stuff, this is going away anyway. Why am I so racked out about it? I can invest in something eternal. You have to care about your prayers. You know, a lot of people divorce themselves from caring because they think they they have a rough, you know, they don't get what they want often enough. And you won't get it. You'll just be a, a sad person, you know. The bride of Christ, you don't have to chase her down to do her prayers. You know, she's always available. You know, maturity doesn't see it as being available in, in bowing down to your prayer partner. Amen. Maturity sees it as a divine appointment. You know, there are people who have been in church 30 years and still immature where that's concerned. Well, I call them last and every time I call them. <laughs> Diapers. <laughs> Diapers. And you don't want to believe that that's why you have trouble in your life. See? But that's exactly. See, people who are on this side of obedience will tell you they've been there. They know the difference between always arguing with the assignment because you're so important. Huh? And yielding to the assignment and enjoying the fruit of having fulfilled the assignment. Until you get on this side of obedience to that law, you'll never know the fruit of it. No, people who are faithful in their prayers, it's not because they don't have nothing better to do. 
They don't want nothing better to do. And you don't have nothing better to do either. You're just fooling yourself. Righteousness and purity of heart cause us to desire to see the word happen. We get excited with answers to prayer. It's our delight to see God move. It's our delight to see what God is doing and see how things are happening in the kingdom. We delight in that. Faith causes us continue to believe even when obstacles occur. See, this is your adding to your faith. You, did you know that obstacles are devised by God so that you could add virtue and other things to your faith? Because he knows it's not going to hold up if you just keep believing it's as simple as confessing something. Or speaking it into existence as people erroneously say I wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million dollars you can do that all day long if you want to waste your time our faith is limited to God's word it cannot go beyond God's word and it will not fall short. When you believe the word of God, it will come exactly the way God said it. People who fall short are usually relying on natural faith and these prayers will not avail. Natural prayers or natural faith prayers that you you want to see something all the time. You want to see something happen first and you you know all that kind of watching everything all the time. The devil will put on a show for you. Your prayers, if your prayers are going to avail much, they must judge evil. You can look at something and judge it as unrighteous. You got to do that by the Holy Spirit. You got to do that by God. Don't get caught up in relationship judgment. Being a respecter of persons. You know, everybody else who does this is backslidden, but this is my friend. They're different. No, they're backslidden, honey. Yeah. You keep judging them wrong, you can be right in there with them. See? Yes. Amen. Because the snare is set for you. Yeah. 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 The devil will ensnare as many as he can. Yeah. So you've got to judge evil and dethrone it. This faith commands forces of darkness to obey the word. You must see yourself as exercising eternal judgment. If you see yourself as doing this and it's only going to last a little while, that diminishes your virtue. That diminishes the godliness of your prayer. Because whatever God does, it lasts forever. Jesus didn't see casting out devils and they come back tomorrow. That's not what he saw. He saw them going into everlasting darkness. You got me? You come out of there. He said, come out of him and don't go in him no more. This one's off limits to you. huh? I'm covering this one in my blood. And you, death angel, must pass over him. Don't come in here no more. You understand what I'm saying? But see, many times we're so nervous about us. If we could take us out of everything, we'd be fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See it the way God sees it. 
You know, he has confidence in himself working through us, not us, himself working through us. Demons respond to the power of God in the same way in us as they did when Jesus did it. They tremble. They beg for mercy. They try to get you to compromise. On one level, they're trying to intimidate you and scare you off when they see you don't back down so easy. They see the virtue in you. Then they'll try to compromise. This is where the church usually loses the fight. Because we can't handle the pity party. We can't handle the, well, you're mean. See, this is what they do. It's like the homosexual devil and, you know, people who were doing uh, 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 criticism of President Obama. They were racist. You know, the devil always name calls when he doesn't want you to do something. See, if he could have entertained constructive criticism, he could have made some improvements. In the way he governed. Now everybody wants to lose him, you know, like a toothache. So this business of accusing is always a tactic of the enemy to get us to back off from the power. Get you not to use the power. Get you to let that go on. Or doubt if you should say anything. You're making a righteous call. God's telling you what to do. And you stand there and wonder. If your prayers are going to avail much more, you can't be wondering. you got to kill that devil and believe if you killed the wrong thing, God will resurrect it. See? That's what righteousness does. It just goes forward. Take no prisoners. Man, it wields the sword. Demons hate enforcers. Believers who know what they are supposed to do and don't hesitate to do it. So enforcers. These demon spirits must be informed of the wisdom of God, according to Ephesians 3.10. The manifold wisdom of God, the many facets of God's wisdom. There's always an answer for the dark world. So the devil does what he wants until the church informs him otherwise. So the manifold or multifaceted wisdom and mind of God is made known to them by us, the church. And we're not going to put up with that here, devil. We're putting a fence around this whole thing. And we're rebuilding in a righteous way here and you're not going to get in. We don't let you in here. You're not allowed in. You go out. Your prayers must be driven by vision. Must be driven by vision. You must be going somewhere. And I I feel bad for believers and church people that just go to church. And, And think that's, you know, the time they have in church is all there is to God. 
It's sad and it's a deception and it's a lie and it's a trick of the enemy. But see, the more people that don't get caught up in that and just have a hunger for God, believers can meet them where they are and bypass the whole deception thing and introduce them to the living God. So we as believers have an opportunity to give truth to people, impart truth, impart hope to them. Get them to understand the calling. Get them to understand what what life with God is really all about. And give them hope for something other than religion. Righteousness will speak for you. And it will help you to get people to understand what God really has in mind for them. You don't have to pretty it up. You don't have to fix it up. You don't have to. No, righteousness just speaks the way it is, has confidence in God to do what he wants to do with their words. So according to Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's our job to pray it in. That's the watchman's vision. That the glory, knowledge of God's goodness, not lies about God, and not God hates different people and he, he hates sin. And if the people want to keep the sin, that's their choice. But God is always going to hate sin. He wouldn't create anything hateful. He doesn't create to hate. He creates to love. He still loves them, but they will go to hell if they stay in sin. Because God's holy and he's righteous. So once you get, give them the full disclosure... About who God is and how he relates to humanity. Then people can make a right decision. But the liberal world wants to silence the truth. That comes from the church. And wants us just to sanction everything they do. Because they don't believe they can live without their sin. They don't think they'll be happy without it. They have no hope. So a testimony from a believer to share Christ's love, you know, when it's by unction and and you know God's put it on your heart to share these things. That's the hope of of the earth. That's, That's where the knowledge of the glory of God comes in. You know his goodness. You know what he's done for you. You know what he'll do for other people. He's no respecter of persons. And you know how to share that. Righteousness tells you how to share these things. Now, if you got other pressures on you, you got a quota you got to fill. You got to you won't. That's not a righteous. These churches that teach you to write down how many souls you win and all this nonsense. This is nonsense. The Bible said in the Book of Acts, God added daily to the church such as should be saved. You don't know how many should be saved. And if you're a scorekeeper, you I don't want to meet you. You know, tell me anything, go to church and test a lie about me. So the the knowledge of the glory of God increases. Even though we see darkness and great darkness, what does Isaiah 61 tell us? Arise, shine, for your light is coming. Gross darkness covers the earth and the people, but your glory rises. Amen. So let it rise. The vision of the increased glory 
defies and opposes the prince of this world. That includes religion. All religions. Poverty. Sickness. We oppose all of it. And not in a selective way, but being led by unction of the spirit. In order for your prayers to avail much more, you must exercise patience for the vision to come to pass and use all of the weapons of warfare. Including prophecy. The church needs to know how to use prophecy as a weapon of warfare so that prayers can avail much. First thing you need to know about prophecy is it builds us up. It builds up the church. It gives her confidence. It gives her fortitude. It gives her virtue. It gives her knowledge. All of these things. The other thing prophecy does is it we use it as a weapon to combat forces of darkness that deceive people and keep them out of the will of God. Prophecy on the level that it builds people up and stirs them up as a people and a congregation, not just individual personal prophecy. Which there's a great hunger for that, folks. There's great hunger for all of it. That's why those of us who were fought so hard in the mid-80s and and early 90s got chased out of churches because we just wanted to come and hear the word and fellowship and, and, you know, get to talking to people and they understand something different about you. And so that different challenges them because it's a light they don't understand. If you're not in the light, you can't understand it. And so after suffering all this persecution, now we look up and everybody's carrying that title. You know, some of these people are prophesying out of just a grace gift of prophecy. They just learned how to develop it. You know, you, you get a key to a door. You can go in there pretty much anytime you want to if you have the faith to do it. It's a matter of faith for a lot of people. Prophecy that guides the church, you know, that helps the church to stabilize herself, know how she should be spending her time, know what God's imparting and pouring out, gives you an understanding of direction, and you can use that prophecy to withstand discouragement that the enemy would send to you, any weapon he sends to you, you can use that prophecy to combat it. And you should. Because you've already been told by God what the end result is, what your focus should be. I can say this, that prophecy will sharpen your focus so that you understand there's purpose to your life. You understand what you should be doing. You understand divine timing. You understand what it's time to be doing. And you engage yourself in it. And you can see the results of it. And so that's why prophecy that guides a church 
is so important. <clears throat> so in 2010, we got a prophecy that said it would be the year of prophetic people. And of all the years that God gave me prophecy for that particular year, the coming year, you know, after a while you get to say, well, this one sounds kind of interesting, God, but come on now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like after a while they kind of like lose their their kind of edge or flavor or something like that. And many prophecies kind of tend to run together and, you know, that kind of thing. But you have to decide if it speaks to your heart and if you can understand vision and purpose in it and, and you know, grab it. And so when <clears throat> when I, God gave me the word about the year of prophetic people, he told me, he said, tell the people this one they can take to the bank. And he had never told me to tell people that before. That's just not something I say. And so <clears throat> when he tells you to tell people something, you tell them. And so it, when you take something to the bank, what do you do? You cash it out and it produces wealth for you. And so we saw for the first time God use a national figure to say exactly what was said in the prophecy. And so we knew we cashed in on that part of it. See, So you know that's a good one. That one you can take to the bank and that one you tuck in. That one you keep it before you because that one's going to ride you out to the end of the ride. You don't let go of that. We're not trading. Listen, we're not judging prophecies and trading this one for that one. We like this prophet better and we like that one better. You don't judge prophets by you like them or you don't like them or you think they're. You judge the word. You judge what they say. You don't like or dislike people. You judge what they say. There's some people who have a prophecy every ten minutes. You know, every day there's a fresh prophetic word. Why don't you go read that for yourself? You know, because anybody can read their Bible. But you judge what they say. You don't judge them. And you like them or you don't like them or they're accurate or they're not accurate. Because anybody can fall off the ladder and have a bad day. You want to have people who have an accurate day and have something accurate to say and know what to do with it when you hear it. Except like it. Besides like it. And so in, in 2010, it was a year of prophetic people. 2011 told us prodigals will return. And we still pray that prayer. You don't stop with something you can take to the bank. You don't stop. Because the year of the prophetic people let us know that God was going to put a different unction on our words and our prayers. That he would release words into the mouths of random people, everyday people, ordinary people. And these words would have power, they would have strength, and they would come to pass. And so you hold on, you carry them over from one year to the next because you're building on. You don't drop 2010s because the year's over. It's a year of release of these things. But at the end of the year, you don't stop being prophetic people and go to drinking beer or something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what do, what do people do when they don't prophesy? Get drunk, I guess. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying. You, you, you carry these things over. So we saw that God wanted us to prophesy that people who had fallen away from him would return. And you saw more people drop away after 2011 than you've seen in a lot of years. Huh? 
So at least he had us calling them back, some of them, before they even got away. Yeah. 2012 was a refining for the body of Christ to sharpen the vision. Well, you know, it's like getting, you know, Barb, you've got to have bifocals. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Say it ain't so, Joe. Well, I guess I better put them glasses on if I want to see. So it's a coming together, people coming together of like precious faith. To make sure we're all seeing the same thing. We're all going the same direction. See, people have a tendency to get off program when they've been walking in something for a length of time. You know, oh, let's go do our prayers. Uh, you know, how long is it going to take me? I can come in late. I don't have to come in at all. So when you sharpen, you got to put people, their nose to the grindstone. Ouch. Ow. Mm-hmm. We all got to do it. No. Marriages go bad after 20 years because people don't sharpen themselves to the vision. They just keep on with the same old, same old. You know, it hasn't been working. That's supposed to be the best time of your life. Huh? Really? Kids are grown. You don't have anybody hanging around whining and hollering so much anymore. I know that 40-year-old one is still there. That one's going to be there. So, you know, we ain't talking about him. Some of the normal kids in the family. You know what I mean? But you know what I mean. People have a new freedom. They can enjoy the freedom they have. They have more released income, all that kind of stuff. But if you don't sharpen yourself... And understand that a challenge, the next 20 will be challenging in a different way. You relax. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to meet the challenge. So there's a refining that has to come. All the complacency, taking for granted, all of the things that make for... Failure have to go. See, you gotta sharpen, sharpen yourself in things. Get the bifocals. You know you need them. Twenty thirteen was a year of either great fortune or misfortune. Now, if you didn't understand that God was calling people back. To a refining fire, you were setting yourself up either to do very, very well or not well at all. And we saw many people suffer misfortune because they didn't believe God was serious, that they needed to hunker down, they needed to get out of their soul and out of their flesh and out of the, out of the diapers. You know, it's time to adorn the bride. It's time to bring her into her <clears throat> gifts and abilities and, and things like that that are going to help her win this war for Christ and, and bring the lost in. Always praying for revival, but nobody wants to be a part of it. We want to watch the revival show. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. 
See, God told us long ago it wouldn't be televised this time. You experienced it by being in it, but you can't see it anywhere and or look back and say, we had that. You're either in it or you're not in it. So this year is the year of the believer in the confirmed word, and we have seen that. I have seen that. Believers with hunger to lay hands on the sick. You know, I'll be honest, there was a time I used to hate to do that altar call. You know, because you knew nobody went out and prayed for anybody. They just, you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like I'm, huh? It is true. Because I'm thinking to myself, come on, God. Nobody came back with any kind of praise report, any kind of document of, you know, I mean, people, other ministry people. And then there are certain ministry people that are always going to do it, certain others that don't do it. You know, just don't want to do it. They don't see themselves helping anybody. But God. It's simply a matter of accepting what he says. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to act like anybody that looks confident. You, don't, you can be you and God will impart to you what you need to help humanity just be you. If he wanted you to be like somebody else, he would have made you them. So God then began to do some things that we're seeing seeing results of. I share with you when we were new, uh, newly formed, we did a lot of traveling to different areas in different cities. And, and one of the things that God had us do was in one year we went to Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, um, for different, we thought, you know, Benny Hinn was in Cincinnati. We had Michigan, of course, we had the meetings up there. Ohio, we went to let my people go and things of that nature. Kentucky, we went down to uh, Donna Bailey's conference a couple of times. And I knew that every time, whenever we went, in the early days we traveled, we always prayed. We prayed our prayers when we got there. We found out what we prayed for the meetings we were attended. We found out what God wanted us to pray for. And shortly after we had done this, I think one of the years was 90, maybe 94, 96, something like that. In those early 90s, God began to speak to me about the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Because I questioned him, why are we going to these places? And he showed me a map uh, on the Internet where these four states comprise the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And he told me that that body of governance would be important for him and report important for the things of the kingdom in coming years. And so I never did anything. I tried to, you know, understand it in the natural and do something with it. And, you know, you keep messing with something and don't do nothing. You leave it alone. So I left it alone <clears throat> for all of these years. But then it popped up in the news recently. And I'll tell you what it says. It says here... The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the voters' will and ruled to define marriage as only valid between one man and one woman. Amen. 
By a two-to-one vote, a Sixth Circuit panel has ruled that the marriage laws in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee do not violate the federal constitution. Because you, you know that in many of these states, the citizens have voted against gay marriage, but the Supreme Court has been overruling them and telling them they got to do it anyway. And so, but in this Sixth Circuit, they have honored the will of the people. He says, Judge Jeffrey Sutton, joined by Judge Deborah Cook, wrote the majority opinion. Judge Martha, Martha Dougherty dissented, reports National Review. Under the original meaning of the 14th Amendment, state marriage laws are clearly constitutional. State marriage laws do not reflect animus, A-N-I-M-U-S, which means an animosity against the people who think otherwise. So one marriage, one man, one woman is not adverse to any. It's not created to give anybody a headache. It says there is no fundamental right to same-sex marriage. It's not a fundamental right. says, under Sixth Circuit precedent, rational basis review applies to sexual orientation classifications. It says nothing to the contrary. So in other words, this marriage between one man and one woman, there's nothing to antagonize anybody. Nobody's leaving anybody out. We didn't do it to make your life miserable. It's a choice that people in states can make. And it's not reflective of any animus, any prejudice, any cause to harm anybody. It's not there to do anybody any harm. And and they're letting it stand. So they are believing that it will be eventually thrown over to the Supreme Court. But we don't know. So um, what I did was I got all the... the, uh, the justices, the judges on the uh, circuit court, and I thought myself and Pastor Shirley would pray these. Uh, so she'll pray with her prayer partners where appropriate, I will too. Um, because I don't want this to get thrown into somebody's I ain't feeling like praying tonight stuff. You understand? No offense to anybody, but y'all do what y'all want to do. I know what I'm going to do, okay? Because this is not something to play with. So if you you still in diapers and you want to play like that, you know, that's between you and God, but I want to keep this in a place where we can watch over it. We make sure it gets prayed on a twice-weekly basis, and we do what we're committed to do. I know many of you are committed, and you prayed, and that's wonderful. Keep praying. But we got too many people still playing games for me to throw that out there. See, I would get real upset. Somebody called me, I can't find my prayer partner. What you praying? Oh, we got one of them. Uh-uh. We ain't going there. I'm not going there. We're going to get this done. See, y'all ain't going to like me today, but I love you, but we're going to get this done. Got nothing to do with any of that. One of the things that we must understand is that God knows we don't feel adequate to do everything. He has a remedy for that. That's taken care of. Whenever, and this, your righteousness will give you understanding of this. See, when, whenever something needs to be done, people somehow get to, but this is what people do. 
they indict somebody. You know, if, if oh, you know, all this gay marriage stuff and they, it's, just, it's against the church and the church needs to do. No, the church don't need to do nothing other than what God tells us to do. You know, who are we to judge? What needs to be done? The problem made it, The problem is big to you because you're not looking at it the right way. But righteousness will assure you that God has the cure for what we need to complete the job. If he calls you, he equips you. This is his war. It's not our war. We are merely participants to carry out the earth part of it so that God's prophecies and his promises that deal with people who live on the earth can come to pass. So he has to do all of it. He plans it. He executes it. He equips us. He helps us. All of this stuff is done by the hand of God. And so he has equipment for us in the things that he wants us to do. One of the things that I've realized about the prophecies, especially the ones that we get during the conferences, and that's why I continue to do them. They're so important. I would do them, you know, just because God says do them. But over years, you see the importance of it. One thing that conferences do, they bring a lot of believers together in one voice, hopefully, that they will will worship as one man and, and they keep an atmosphere that is conducive to God doing the work he wants to do. And so more and more I see why we've had these in Detroit because there's a lot of work to do here. Not that it's not the same in Cleveland, but Detroit is kind of pivotal in in the the commerce, the spiritual life, all those things in this Midwest area. So you have to go where God tells you to go. You understand what I'm saying? And do these things. And so you need somewhat of a base of operation to do certain things so that... There will always be an opportunity for God to move and do certain things to help people in certain areas, you know, and, and this is this is one of them. But one of the things that I've always noticed about the, the prophetic song of the Lord is that it has to do with maturing the body of believers to take on the work of the ministry. See, the, the story about the bride and the bridegroom has to do more with the bride being a bride of war then it has to do with being pretty and all dressed up. And, you know, what we dress up in are weapons of warfare. We dress up and are adorned. You know, we can sing these songs and the world may think, oh, well, we think about is getting married to Jesus one day, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, but there's more to it than that. If you think about what our mission is and what our job is to do down here on the earth, we must be adorned with abilities to fight the enemy just like we're adorned with, you know, say if it's a bride and it's her beautiful dress and all that. It's weapons of warfare for us. It's the anointing for us. It's the word of the Lord. It's being prophetic people. It's understanding that he will put a word in your mouth and you don't have to worry about, did I study enough? Did I pray? Be prayed up, studied up, fasted up. All that, you know what I'm saying. It's, just, it's no religion here. It's just relationship. And so one of the things I was doing last night in this past week, I was reflecting on some of the songs of the Lord and talking about presence that we receive in his presence and, and how he equips us and adorns us and gives us what we need. You're not ill-equipped to do the work of the ministry. You, you have the equipment. 
You just have to receive it. You have to meditate on these things and say, you know what? This is for me. I've got to expect that when I witness to somebody, God gives me the power that those words are effective. I got to believe that when I get ready to, 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 uh, buy something that I need, God wants me to have it and I can go and these doors will open for me and people will give me the things that I need. If I need credit, I can get it. If I need favor, I can get it. If I need all of these things come through the relationship where you sit at his feet until he adorns you with what you need. See, many of us are so busy trying to scrap and fight the world for junk. Some of us having a fit because we can't get the right hours at our job or we can't. You understand what I'm saying? Come on now. Either go every day and keep your mouth shut or quit. But God has something else on his mind. You understand what I'm saying? There's something much more important than your natural side of your life. And so I believe that, that if we would focus in on understanding what he's given us thus far. You know, there needs to come a time where you pull all the prophecies together. And you begin to study and you understand. You put this puzzle together because if not, it's going to be, well, that was a cool word that we got last night. and It gave me goosebumps and then you go on to the next night, you know. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. You know, first night, I just want to get it over with. God, get me back to my bed. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just a, one of them kind of things. But God has important things to be laid down, important truths and, and that kind of stuff. So I thought what we do is we need to play a couple of these prophecies because I want you to understand your spiritual equipment for seeing the vision come to pass. For the whole earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You have a part in that. And what that part is, you can depend on your prayers um, working. You can depend on your prophetic person. You have a word in your mouth that will change a whole atmosphere, change a whole city, change a whole neighborhood. You need to be seeing that possible. And get out of yourself. Get out of your boring life that hasn't changed in 30 years and isn't going to change real quick. Because you really like it boring or you wouldn't have nothing to talk about. So let's skip over that. And let's get to the real purpose that we're all here. And that is to do the work of the ministry. We haven't been equipped in the past because it wasn't time for equipping. Let me put, it, put that. It's, there's nothing wrong with us. Let's quit getting paranoid about everything. There's nothing wrong with the church. There's nothing wrong with the body of Christ. There's nothing wrong with God's people. So let's quit that and start to focus on what God has provided for us and how we're going to receive that and how he's going to work with us in that. So, Lil Howard, you got the first one. I think it should be the uh, bling one, the first. It's number one, if they're numbers. Turn it up until we can hear it, and then if we need to turn it back down.
heavy laden. You're tired, you're weary. Come unto me and I'll give you rest, says the Lord. For there is a rest and there is a refreshing for my people, says the Lord. In my presence, in my presence, in my presence, says the Spirit of the Lord. And my presence is not only presence, but presence, says the Lord. For my presence, not only presence, but presence, says the Lord. For the Lord is saying this. He says, come unto me, my beloved. Well, remember, you are my beloved. In my presence, there are presence, says the Lord. For I have gifts for you, says the Lord. I have gifts that I bring, the bling says the Spirit of the Lord. For I have gifts that will brighten you up, says the Spirit of the Lord, like you've never been brightened up before, says the Lord. For I have adornments for you, says the Spirit of God. When you trade in your weariness, says the Lord, you receive a present from me, says the Spirit of God. For I bring the bling. I want to sing about the bring bling that I bring, says the Spirit of God. For I make you brilliant, I make you sparkle, I make you shine, says the Spirit of God. For this is a time of accessorizing my bride, says the Spirit of the Lord. Don't you want something new to wear, says the Lord? Ha! In my presence, there are presents, says the Lord. Don't leave without the presence, says the Lord. For in my presence are many presents. And there are many things that I bring, the bling that I bring, the thing that you want, the thing that I bring is the bling that I bring to adorn you with, says the Spirit of the living God. Don't leave the throne room without the bling, says the Spirit of God. For many of my children come to me and they get the bare necessities, says the Spirit. Some of you even leave before I give you the white, white, white robe of righteousness, says the Spirit of God. Don't be afraid of me. Come and sit and dine and stay a while, says the Spirit of God. For we're just getting acquainted, says the Lord. When you sit in my presence, I don't want you to leave without the presence, says the Lord. For you will sing about the bleeding that I bring, says the Spirit of the living God. This is the time that I accessorize my bride, says the Lord. For the world will look at you and see me through you. They'll look past you and say me and says, boy, there's something about you. And you may be having the worst day of your life in your mind, but they see it, honey, because they can't. They want to sing about the bling that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord. For the world thinks that they have a corner on the bling, but they can't touch what I bring, says the Spirit of God. 
for I will put on you something that will draw people to you, and then I'll get them in my snare system where they won't be able to resist the word that you bring to the Spirit of God. And not only the word of the Lord, but the demonstration and power to back it up to the Spirit of the living God. For I have yet to adorn you with my supernatural miracle working power. Oh yeah, they'll see about the bling that I bring to the spirit of the living God. For this is the time where I accessorize my bride with that that the world needs so desperately, says the Lord. For the world needs now the love that I'm pouring out through my body, says the Spirit of God. They need what you have. Don't fear. They've been resisting it so far, but they're going to sing about the blame that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord. Don't leave the throne room without all your accessories, says the Lord. Don't leave the throne room without the present that I give you, says the Spirit of God. And when you think you have enough, I'll blow your mind because I have more. There's so many doors that I want to open to my bride, says the Spirit of God. For I want my, my bride to look good, says the Lord. I want everybody to look at her and marvel, says the Lord. And they'll say, hey, isn't that so and so that used to be this and that? And you'll say, yeah, but I've been in the presence of Jesus and I have a new thing. You can sing about the bleeding that he brings to the Spirit of the Lord. So understand that this time, when you come into my presence, stay a while. Don't run out so fast. I know you got gas bills, you got this bills, you got bills you don't want to pay, you got bills that they're not. But don't leave without the presence that I want to give you, says the Spirit of God. For in my presence, there's fullness of everything, but also the ring that my bride wears and the bling that I bring to the Spirit of the living God. Thank you.
love, says the Spirit of God. Oh, the pursuit of love, says the Spirit of God. For you are my peculiar treasure, says the Spirit of God. My peculiar treasure, says the Spirit of the Lord. This is the great pursuit, says the Spirit of God. For you hasten to my throne, and you come into the great shalom of God. The great peace of the Lord, says the Spirit of God. And this is the great adventure of your life, says the Lord. For some of you have pursued earthly love and been fulfilled. You pursue earthly love and been disappointed. But I am the great love of your life, says the Spirit of God. I am the great love of your life, says the Lord. For you pursue me for a season, and when you have a great time, says the Lord. And then I disappear, and you disappear, and we both disappear, and we look around, and we can't find one another, says the Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden, there's this handsome on the inside of you, says the Spirit of God. And that's me drawing you with my heartstrings, like the deer pants after the water, says the Spirit of God. And then I show up, and it's all good again, says the Spirit of God, like we've never been apart. And then you turn around, and I disappear, and you disappear, and we go through it again. The great panting after me, said the Lord. Isn't that wonderful, said the Lord? Ain't I the best love affair you've ever had, says the Spirit of God. This is the great love of your life, says the Lord. This is the great pursuit of love, says the Spirit of God. And you are my peculiar treasure in the earth, says the Lord. My peculiar treasure, says the Lord. For I have some white, black, red, yellow, in between, short, tall, big, thin, old, young, but I love you all, says the Spirit of God. I love you all just the same, says the Spirit of God, and I am the great love of your life. You pursued me, and you found me. You nailed me, and here you are in my presence, says the Lord. And I have great gifts for you in the throne room, says the Spirit of God. I have great things to bestow on you, says the Lord. I have great things. The bling. Oh, yeah, the bling, says the Lord. You didn't think I'd bring it again? I'll bring it again, says the Hey, every time you come into the throne room of God, you get the bling of the Lord. The great bling, says the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, yeah, you can see about the bling that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord. You can sing about the bling that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord. And there's none other like me, says the Lord. There's none other that knows you and loves you anyway, says the Spirit of God. I saw you. You turned your back on me, but I tapped you on the other shoulder, and you turned around, and there I was, in your face, loving you again, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hey, it's all good again, says the Spirit of the Lord. I love you. Hey, you can't lose me. 
This is the greatest seed of love I ever love of your life, says the Spirit of the Lord. There is none like me. I love you like no other. I knew what you were when you found me, and I found you, and I loved you anyway, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hey, you can't be better than that, says the Spirit of the Lord. And lo, I am with you always. Oh, into the end of the age, says the Spirit of the Lord. For I will never leave you, never forsake you. I've got a ring on every finger and every toe. That's the thing that I preach, says the Spirit of the Lord. I have adored you like no other. This is the bride of the end of the age, says the Spirit of the Lord. And I've adored you with everything that I've got. It belongs to you. And it's all good, says the Spirit of the Lord, for you can't, you can't resist the bling that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord, you can't resist it, says the Spirit, I never dare you to try to resist it, says the Spirit of the Lord, you can't, you've got to sing, you've got to sing, you've got to sing about the bling that I bring, says the Spirit of the Lord, hallelujah, yeah, yeah, yeah. can't do it with all that it just can't get done you understand me god wants to give us spiritual equipment that the world will stand in awe of and this is why amen this is why there's such a warfare against the identity of the church they want to keep us feeling like we don't love people we don't treat people right this is the accusation that comes to us. And this is how you fight it. You fight it with prophecy. Because God is saying we're ready. He wants to do these things. But you've got to stay in his presence. You've got to get out of yourself. You've got to get out of your bills. And your marriage. And your not marriage. And your, your career. And your not career. And all these things that keep us on like gerbils on a treadmill. You know, just <laughs> making time. Waiting for the rapture. Most people don't even believe in it. You know what I'm saying? So, so we've, got, we've got everything we need, folks. If you don't have those prophecies, my suggestion, I'm not going to make nobody get them, whatever it is, get them. Because we can, we can make copies for you. We can put them all on one CD. 
There's three from that one conference. I would get those. And there's another one. Um, what was <laughs> I forgot it already. About. Um, uh, yes, that one. Yeah. About your identity. Those are four of them. So if we can get them all on one CD, it'd be great. I think it's only what each one's about eight or nine minutes or something like that. So it wouldn't even take up a whole CD. So we need to get those folks and play them over and stick them in your car. Play them over and over. You know, some of you like Christian headbanger music. Get that stuff out of there and get something with the word. I keep telling y'all over and over again, feed on the word because, you know, music just sends you in the la-la land. You know, get something that feeds your spirit. Learn how when God gives you something, what it means and the significance of it. Part of it's my job to teach you these things, but I can't make you stay in the presence of God long enough to get your equipment. You got to do that. And so God wants to do that for us. And I know he's going to do it. He doesn't lie. Since 2010, he's told me, tell people they can take these prophecies to the bank. It's up to you to cash them in. Amen. It's up to you if you want to do the work of the ministry in demonstration and power. But I know that the the bling is the gifts of God. It's your spiritual equipping. And it's a change in you that people are going to notice and they're going to want you to pray for them. They're going to want you to lay hands on them. They're going to want you. They're going to want what you have. Just like back in the day, prophecy was maligned and we were shooed out of every place. Now people, everybody wants it. There's going to come a time everybody wants a believer that want to know a believer that knows God so they can get their needs met. So why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to pray a little bit and believe God. I believe he's done what he wants to do. If somebody has a prayer request or they want me to pray for them for something that they have a need for. I think, Chuck, I told you I'd pray with you. For you. Lil Howard, put some music on and I'll pray for those who do need prayer. <clears throat>